during a, an examination, a rookie police officer was asked. They, they were talking about different scenarios, different situations, and, and and it was talked about. So, so you've got a crowd that's gathering. There's a, a crime scene or an accident. A, ca- a crowd is gathering around, and you need to get that crowd dispersed. And and so the question was to this rookie police officer, as well as others there in the room, how would you disperse a crowd? What's the one thing you could do that would would get the crowd dispersed? There was there was silence after the question was asked no one said anything for a little bit and finally one guy raised his hand and said well i would take up an offering um no sermon strikes more fear in the heart of church members um or pastors for that matter than a than a sermon on giving um we we know that a time to time when we come to church uh it's going to get talked about but it doesn't mean we have to like it it's it's like going to the dentist you know you need to go but it's no fun well well we're going to talk this morning about giving that feels good because the truth is when scripture talks about giving, it talks about it not in a, man, this is tough. This is going to be difficult to talk about. It talks about it, it talks about it in a positive, wonderful way. It, it tells us what God is going to do for us, that God is going to bless us. So, so this morning's message, just like last week's, not necessarily an easy topic, but it's biblical and it talks to us about the heart of God. We're going to talk about giving that feels good. Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, if you have Bibles, turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I, I challenge you to hold that open because we'll, we'll move to a couple other places and we're also going to go back to chapter 8. And then we're going to look at a few other passages uh, this morning as well. So kind of hold those open. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew back in front of you that, that, that is in the New International that will match what I'm reading here this morning, but Paul in 2 Corinthians was challenging the church at Corinth, and one of the ways that he challenged the church was to to, uh, to use an example of another church. The church is in Macedonia, so so the churches around Philippi and and that area were an example of giving. They they were they were a poor church. Life was tough for the Christians in the Macedonian churches, but. But when they heard about a need in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church was going through persecution. The Christians there were losing their jobs, and and they were struggling, and they heard about the need there. So the churches in Macedonia, even though they didn't have much, took up some special offerings to bless the church in Jerusalem. So Paul, in challenging church at Corinth, used the church at uh in Macedonia as an example. So he's talking about that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And nine. So if you have your Bibles open, let's look at chapter 9. We'll just look at a couple verses as we start out here this morning. Now catch what this says in verse 6 and 7. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The the Greek word there for cheerful, the, the word that Paul uses there is actually the, the Greek word for hilarious. So Paul, very, very precisely, very uh, intentional there, uses that word that God loves a, a, a giver that can give with, with laughter and excitement and cheerfully that, 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 that realizes that it's a, a wonderful thing. Uh, we aren't challenged as we might sometimes think, we're not challenged to give until it hurts. Instead, we're challenged to give until it feels good. We're going to look this morning just at two simple thoughts that uh, 
that maybe will give us a little bit of insight, give us a little direction on what God wants us to know uh, about giving. Here's the first one uh, that God talks about, uh, or that Paul talks about in this passage, and he, and I think he talks about motivations for giving. He kind of opens up for us what the motivations to give are. There's a couple things that we need to understand right off the bat, though. Let me let me preface everything else I'm going to say by throwing this out there. Number one, God doesn't need your money. If you want to write that down, there's, uh, it's not in the notes, but if you want to write that down, just feel free to go ahead and write that down. In fact, if you want to come back later and say, yeah, Tim, but didn't you say God didn't need my money? You're more than welcome to do that. God doesn't need our money. We need to understand, uh, and, and to get a right perspective of godly giving, we need to understand that God doesn't need what we have. See, at the center of our worldview, we talked about this last week uh, when we talked about if God is God, that, that sets up the whole premise of what we looked at last week, that God values life, uh, even unborn life. If the center of our world belief is that God is all-powerful, that he created the world and he keeps everything in motion by his power, then, then it's kind of small-minded, it's kind of short-sighted if we believe that God somehow needs our money. In Psalm chapter 50, Psalm chapter 50, verses 9 through 12, it says this, uh, if you want to hold Second Corinthians and jump over the, to Psalm, there it says, I have no need of a bull from your stall, or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. See, God God doesn't need our money. Uh, I, I don't want you to believe, I don't want you to think that God somehow puts on us and depends solely on us and our giving to make his kingdom grow. See, see if we believe that, that, that God's looking down at Troy Christian Church, and if, man, if people at, at Troy Christian Church don't give obediently, man, then I, th- th- then the church is doomed. If, if people at Troy don't give uh, like they're supposed to, I, God doesn't throw his hands in the air and say, what am I going to do? Uh, how will the world ever know? Now, now let me speak to you. Individually, let me speak to us as a church uh, that God is going to accomplish his work with or without us. He doesn't need our money. Now, now I, I challenge you to, to keep on listening. Uh, don't just stop there and say, hey, Tim said I don't have to give. See, God doesn't need your money. And, and, and here's, here's, here's the other second point I really want you to catch. God wants your heart. The, the whole point of giving is not that God needs it. If everything we see is his anyway, he's not limited by, by what we can do. But giving is all about God wanting your heart. This, this church, and, and, and man, I'm excited to say this, just, this church has a rich history of doing the work of the Lord and a, a rich history of giving. We started, I don't know, four or five years ago, this church made a, a, a pledge and a, and, and a decision to give uh, a biblical 10% of every dollar that comes in. So every dollar, and Jeannie mentioned this a few weeks ago when we talked about, about our giving and our mission, uh, the missions that we support. We, we made a decision a few years ago, 
every dollar given, 10% of that, we're going to turn around and give away ourselves. We're going to give that to local missions, to, to, to missions in our, our country, and, as well as foreign missions. And not only there, we, we, we took that a step further, and we have uh, each year since then, 1% a year we've been adding. So this year, 14%, 14 cents of every dollar that you give to church, we're turning around and giving to someone else. We'll top that up. We'll cap that next year at 15%. When you add the other things that we do as a church, uh, individuals that give to missions, uh, our almsgiving, which today is Alms Sunday. It's a way for you to, to bless that way. When we do that as a church, we are giving well over 20% of, of what we bring into this church going out and giving to others. See, we believe when God's word calls us to give and, and, and a tithe, 10% is the model that he chooses that we as a church should do that. See, God doesn't want you to give today because he needs your money. He wants you to give because he wants your heart. Jesus addressing this in Matthew chapter 6, 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. This, that, that verse comes on the heels of Jesus teaching about us storing up treasures in heaven. Our, uh, our Acts 242 group has been studying the last, I believe, the last three weeks. Uh, we have four more weeks to go. We've been studying, uh, or maybe it's four and we have three to go. I don't know what it is. We've been studying heaven, a book called by Randy Alcorn. And, and one of the things that we're learning in that study is that that when, when Christ comes back, everything is going to be burned up. Everything is going to be destroyed. Nothing is going to be left except what we send on ahead of us to heaven. See, it won't matter. Uh, in the end, it won't matter what kind of car we drive or what kind of house we live in or vacations we take or, jewelries or clo- jewelry or clothes that we wear. God won't be impressed by our boats, our toys, or our things. God will be impressed instead by what we send on ahead of us. See, heaven, heaven will, will be the place that we send our, our, our true gifts. What will, will have eternal consequence is what will survive. See, in Matthew 25, Jesus doesn't say, doesn't say to, to those, and that's the story of Jesus separating the sheep from the goats. He doesn't say to someone, well, you had a, you had a marvelous house. Enter into my kingdom. Jesus doesn't say to the people there gathered, wow, that was a great car you drove. Enter into my kingdom. He, he doesn't say to, to people there, wow, you really dressed up nice when you came to church. You had on designer clothes and, and, and your jewelry was spot on. You just looked wonderful when you came to worship. Enter into my kingdom. He doesn't say there you had the latest iPhone and all the gadgets to go. Your house was totally Wi-Fi connected. You could turn on your fan from a thousand miles away and check the doors were locked. That was great. Enter into my kingdom. Jesus isn't going to say, man, you had a thousand followers on Facebook and your Twitter account was was loaded with people that wanted to know your every word enter into my kingdom. But Jesus did say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and in prison and you took care of me and visited me. See, when we do these things, 
as individuals and as a church. Number one, it's going to take resources to, to accomplish that. But when we do those things, then Jesus will say, enter into my kingdom. Enter into my kingdom. Now, now let me just be honest here for a second. Our obedience in the area of giving is often impacted by the priority we place on things. See, sometimes after we pay for our houses, our cars, our toys, our things, there isn't much left over to God. And if we treasure money and possessions and things, if that's where our heart is, then it's hard to let go of them. But if we treasure God, if if we treasure serving Him, if we treasure doing something that will last for eternity, then that's where our heart will be. See, God... God wants you to give the, not because he needs it, but, but because he wants your heart. He wants your heart. Let's, let's look at some of the motivations for giving. We'll, we'll walk through these. It won't take very long. Uh, sometimes we give, sometimes we give because of guilt. Uh, people usually expect a pastor to get up and talk about giving and, and try to guilt you into giving. We'll, we'll talk about statistics, maybe throw up a couple slides of, of poor children or, 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 or hopeless people and talk about how this isn't being done because we don't give. And, and the truth is, I could do that this morning, but, but it will only work for a little bit. And, and the truth is, if I guilt you into giving, if you, if you think, well, I feel guilty, man, he made me feel bad, I'll throw some money in, then, then 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 really doesn't apply to you. God loves a cheerful giver. And if you give out a compulsion, if you give because I guilt you into giving, then you know what? God's really not going to be pleased with that gift, and you're not going to be pleased in giving it. So, so, so we don't give for that reason. In fact, what Paul was doing to the church with the church at Corinth is he was trying to teach them the the biblical model, the the Israelite model, the Old Testament model of of making plans to give. Uh, if if you look back in chapter nine, we'll, we'll move up a couple of verses. Let me read just a few verses there. And really what Paul's talking about, this is a Gentile church, so they, they don't really know anything about the history of Israel and, and the model that God had for them. But, but Paul's giving just a little bit of teaching that. Verse 3, but I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you on this matter should not prove hollow. They had planned, they had told Paul that they were going to give to this need. But that you may be ready, as I said it would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we... Not to say anything about you would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brothers, to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not one grudgingly given. So basically what Paul is saying, and he's teaching them there about the, the model in Old Testament, which is the, the model of first fruits. You give to God first. You, you, you harvest a crop, you give 10%. At the start, not, not after everything is paid and then worry about it, you give first fruit. So Paul is saying there, if, if you plan and do it right, then you give generously. You give, you give cheerfully, not begrudgingly. Giving out of guilt is not what God wants. If, if you give this morning because you're guilty, I, I think, I, I think, Jared, I'm with you. I think God would say, uh, uh, and if I'm wrong, you can correct me. But I think you say, hey, just keep your money if you're guilty. I, I want you to give cheerfully. Sometimes we give out of responsibility. Uh, that's not a terrible motivation. It comes from the attitude of I ought to. And, and that's, that's okay, I guess. 
we should look at our church. We should look at ministries we're involved in and have a sense of ownership that like, yeah, you know, I'm a part of that. I, I have a responsibility. The problem with out of responsibility is, again, there's not much cheerfulness. Sometimes we give to meet a need. Now, now notice these motivations are getting just a little better, a little bit better as we move along here. Sometimes we, our motivation is we see a need and, and we get excited about that and we want uh, to make a difference. The problem with giving just to a need, and every church I've been involved in, with has done a great job of this. The problem with giving just to a need is you get excited for a, for, for a moment and then it can pass. Or, or what if you're not excited about that need? And someone else is. They're, they're excited. They give, but you don't. Or, or the reality is, man, as a church, it's hard to make people excited after need, after need, after need. After a while, you're just get, you're just gonna get, you're gonna get uh, burnt out and, and not motivated. Uh, now, as a church, we do very well. A, a few weeks ago, we, uh, we took up a love offering for Andrea Stock. Uh, we, we laid the need out. We said, man, Andrea's going to do a wonderful thing this summer. She's going to go and build houses with Costas Patristo, and she needs a blessing, and we need to raise $4,700, and this church gave well over $5,000 to that need. What a blessing. And, 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 and we get excited about that. The problem, though, is it's not very sustainable when we just give because of a, of a need. Uh, sometimes we give in Thanksgiving. Chapter uh, nine here. Look at verses uh, eleven and twelve. Uh, you you will make me rich in every way, so that you can give that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We're, we're getting close there. We're getting close if we give out of thanksgiving. Man, God's blessed me. I want to give. But the true motivation for giving is when we realize that it's an act, it's an act of worship. When we give, we're giving because it worships God. First or Second Corinthians 8, 5, you want to just go over one chapter, says this in verse 5, and they did not do as we expected, talking about the Macedonian churches. They were poor, they didn't have much, but they shared. They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then us in keeping with God's will. They gave as an act of worship. See, worship always does two things. It acknowledges who God is. It acknowledges who God is. See, when we give obediently and we give sacrificially and we give generously, when we give what God has placed on our hearts to give, then it acknowledges who he is and it acknowledges our need of God, which is basically who we are. See, giving in its truest form is worship. We're acknowledging that our treasure is not in this world. Instead, it demonstrates to God and it proves to us that God is God. What, what's your motivation for giving? My, my, my desire would be that you take to heart uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, that you would not give reluctantly or under compulsion or grudgingly or out of guilt or sense of disresponsibility, but did you realize, man, I have an opportunity to be a blessing. I'm going to give so that I laugh when I give. I want to be cheerful with my giving. That's the motivation. Now, now our faith journey, God, God puts a standard out there of 10%, and 
we can debate. If you want to ask me what that means, if you want to ask, hey, is that uh, before taxes, after taxes, before this, before, you want to talk to me about that, I'll be glad to sit down and, and, and open that a little bit more what Scripture says there. But the truth is, God puts out a standard there. And Jesus challenged us to be, to, to, to give more than, than what we are required to by the law. And, and that's 10%. That is worshiping God. That is putting God, uh, uh, first and making Him the treasure of our life. So, so our motivation for giving, but, but let's look at one last thing here. There's a mystery about godly giving. Cause I know some of you, you have to think, I know I did when I first began to give the way God had instructed me to give. I, I, I began to think, Lord, how in the world can I do this? If we understand these mysteries, then we can worship God in our giving and we can be cheerful in our giving. First of all, if we understand that it's God produced, we already looked early in Psalm chapter 50 that, that God owns it all. The, the cattle on a thousand hills are, are his. God owns everything we have. God produced it. It's his. It's already belongs to him. That, that is his given to us. Congressman Mike McCoon tells a story about a time he took his his uh, two young sons to McDonald's and 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 he, he got the meals and they sat down and he had just got a salad to eat but his boys had got happy meals and they had some french fries and 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 they were the the french fries just right out of the grease they were hot and and, and you know if you I love McDonald's fries and when they're hot, they're even better, and they smell wonderful. And he sat down with the order, and his son began to eat his meal, and he got a whiff of, he's eating that salad because that's what his doctor said. And he gets a whiff of one of those fries, and, and he reaches over to take one of his son's fries, and his dad kind of slapped, or his, his son kind of slapped his hand. Dad, that, those are my fries. And, and McLuhan says, I, I kind of I stepped back. I was shocked. What, who does he think he is? Doesn't he know that I just bought those fries? I just went up and I took money out of my wallet and I handed it to him and I, I bought the fries and I gave that to him. It's, he said, doesn't my son know that if I wanted to, I could take those fries from him? I'm bigger than him. And I could just take those fries and hold them away from him. I can keep him away and eat them with one, the other hand. I could, I could take his fries. Doesn't he know I could go up and buy about 15 orders of fries? I've got a credit card. I can buy... 15 orders and I can just dump all those fries on my son. Truth is, I don't even need his fry. I can just go get my own. Eat my salad and eat my fries and not feel guilty at all. Well, maybe a little guilty. But McCoon says this, what I really wanted from my son, what I really wanted from my son was this. I wanted his willingness to share with me that which I had already given him let me let me read that again what i wanted for my son was his willingness to share with me that which i had already given him it's uh it's god provided or it's god produced and and it's god provided uh, hold corinthians open and, and move back the, the last book of the old testament's right if you find Matthew, it's the book before Matthew, the book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, uh, the, the prophet there says this. He says, bring the, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. 
Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. See, God God provides if we just trust. Now, I know it may not make sense. You may look at your budget and say, man, how in the world, how in the world can I give 10%? How in the world could, could I give, like the church does, how in the world could I give 14? I mean, it just, the math just doesn't work out. God provides. A, a, a guy came to his pastor and, and uh, sat down with him. He said, it's a pastor, I, I, I really feel like God has challenged me to, to tithe. I really want to tithe. And, and so they began to talk about it. And the guy said, you know, I used to tithe. When, when, when I was first married or before I was married, I used to give 10% of my income to the church. But back then I was making 50 bucks a week. And I didn't have a problem at all taking $5 out and throwing the offering. And then, then I got a better job and I, I was, I, I was making $500 a week. And, and it really wasn't hard to put $50 a week in the offering plate. And, 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 and now Lord, or, or now, uh, pastor, the, the Lord has blessed me and I'm making $5,000 a week. I'm making $5,000 a week and I just can't seem to find a way to give $500 a week to the Lord. The pastor thought for a while, said, well, why don't we pray about it? And so they bowed their heads and the pastor said this prayer, dear God, please make this man's weekly income $500 a week so he can tithe. <laughs> See, it doesn't make sense sometimes that God says we can live off 90%. We trust him with the 10 but God provides, and then God will protect us. See, we, we read earlier from Matthew chapter 6 that we're not to store up treasures in heaven, but to send it on where God protects it for us. Randy Alcorn says this, what we keep we will lose. What we give and share and do in Christ's name we will ultimately come back to us in heaven in a far better and permanent form. So what's our motivation? Uh, it really shouldn't be guilt or responsibility or need. Really shouldn't even just be, well, we feel really good and feel like God's blessing us, so I'm going to give. It really should be an act of worship that causes us to be cheerful. And and the mystery is 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 it's explained. God produces, it's his, he provides, and he'll protect. There's a little lady, her name was Ella. John, you guys can come on up. Her name was Ella. Ella was in her upper 80s, and I went to visit her at uh, at the nursing home uh, in DeKalb. She had been a part of the church at Rushville for years. She she was a, a, a faithful member. She she like some of you had her pew, and she was always in that pew. Uh, she got there early, so she was one of the first ones arrived. So she never had to worry about someone taking her spot. But she sat there. Ella Ella was an interesting lady. She was. She was, I would consider, somewhat of a biblical scholar. She loved the Old Testament, and she could put me to shame uh, on Old Testament stories. Occasionally, she would ask me stuff just to prove that she knew something and I didn't. So that, that's who she was. And Ella could be a little cantankerous because she could be a little bit, little bit harsh at times, but, but, but man, she was faithful. When, when, when her health declined and she had to move into her nursing home, Ella didn't have any children and really didn't have any family to take care of her, and I'd go visit her and and she had asked that I would come the first of every month to, to visit her, and I would go. And 
And and when I did, I, I would sit down and talk, and somewhere during that visit, Ella would reach into her purse and with hands that were shaking, would pull out her checkbook and open it up and start writing the check. Her handwriting was so bad that you could hardly say, hardly read that it was Rushville Christian Church. But she would scribble out. The check that she wrote was never very much. It was about fifty or sixty dollars, but it was always an exact amount, like sixty-seven dollars and forty-seven cents, something like that. She'd write that out. Well, I knew exactly what it was. I knew her social security social security check came the first of the month, and it was six hundred and forty-seven dollars and some odd cents. And so she wrote a check out exactly ten percent. Now, did that make a huge difference in our difference in our church budget? Nah, it really didn't. Were we going to have to cancel ministries because we didn't have that money? Nah. But you know what? She was faithful. And this lady who didn't have much and hadn't had much her whole life knew one thing, that her giving was an act of worship to God. And even though she couldn't come to church, and even though she couldn't sit in worship, she could write a check out and say, God, I still trust you, and I still believe you. Um, God doesn't need your money, guys. God doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart. He does want your heart. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you give us. You have blessed us beyond all measure. As a, as a nation, Father, we are, we are blessed. As people, we are blessed. As residents here in the Midwest, Lord, we are blessed. And Father, we thank you for giving us so much of your providence and so much of your blessing. Lord, you've asked us to just trust you. You've asked us to give you our heart. You've asked us to treasure you. Lord, give us, give us the, the insight. Give us the ability to just look at all of our life and all the blessings and be cheerful. Father, help us write checks and laugh because we know we're trusting you and we're honoring you and we're worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?